we can trace one of our modern Christmas traditions to the workshop of a famous inventor. What tradition? Ah, what popular Christmas song was actually written as a Thanksgiving tune? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this edition of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. to the off-ramp, jingle bells all the way. A chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, <laughs> and get some perspective on life. Our perspective today is we're approaching the holidays and we have a few questions about that and some other fun things too. So, Marsha, we can trace one of our modern Christmas traditions to the workshop of a famous inventor. What tradition is that? Well... When I think of inventor and workshop, I think of... Uh, Santa, I, right? <laughs> yes. Well, no, that's not well, the answer. No? No. Oh, okay. Uh, I think of Edison. Thomas Edison. Yeah. And it is from that uh, workshop. Okay. But and it wasn't I, Edison himself who came up with it. one of his little minions. One of his little workers, yes. <laughs> what was the modern tradition that we have that we can trace back to Edison's workshop? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Putting a wreath up on no. the door. No. What did Edison help popularize, Marsha? The light bulb. Yes. <gasps> lights on a tree. That's exactly right. Now, <laughs> lights had been on Duh. trees before. The Germans brought that tradition of candles on trees. Very dangerous, but that was where that began. And as a matter of fact, I was born in Worcester, Ohio, which supposedly was the site of the first lighted Christmas tree in the United States by German people there. But 1882, that's when the first electrically lighted Christmas tree was decorated. And we can trace that to the workshop of Thomas Edison. It was Edison's chief assistant, Edward Johnson. And he put the invention of the electric lamp to work at his home. He set up a Christmas tree in his parlor in New York with 80 twinkling red, white, and blue bulbs, each the size of a walnut. And that was the first Christmas tree yeah. with light bulbs on it. Well, I'll Electric be. lights. Okay. So, Bob. Yes. Robert. Yes. Honey Bunny. Oh, no, no. Stop that. <laughs> okay, Bob. Ready? Yeah. What popular Christmas song was actually written to be a Thanksgiving song? You know, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was the Christmas song, the chestnuts roasting it's by an open fire, or if it was something, I think it was actually the one that Irving Berlin wrote. White Christmas? Yes. No. Oh, what was it? It was Jingle Bells. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Same one you were talking about. First published in 1857, it was written by James Lore Pierpont to be sung on Thanksgiving in Medford, Massachusetts, where sleigh rides were a huge deal back in the 1800s. So everybody would go on sleigh rides around Thanksgiving, and so... Dashing through the snow. Well, so they were doing it, but it wasn't for sleigh. Christmas. It right. was for you don't Thanksgiving. Hear, yeah, you don't hear any Christmassy in there, but it was taken up for Christmas. Well, I would think of Because of the bells. Yeah. Know, but the Very sleigh, festive. It is. And the sleighs had bells on So them. Jingle Bells actually originally written for Thanksgiving. That's correct, Bob. <laughs> you say that was such... <laughs> well, it's amazing. I had no idea. It takes it Dang. takes away from the meaning, but it adds a different kind of meaning, too. Yes, yes. well, I think the It's same. meaningless, actually. <laughs> <no. Carry laughs> so it's on. taking away, and it's meaningless. Okay. All right, I have one for you. What would you pay for an ice cream cone, Marcia? What would you pay for an ice cream cone? Well, just... You mean today? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, buck and a half? What if I said $20? No. 
I would not. What if I said it was alcoholic ice cream? Okay, maybe. But just a little <laughs> I brand, love that. Brandy Alexander in a cookie cone? Okay, maybe. <laughs> well, $20 a cone is what some customers are paying for cones from a special ice cream dispenser developed by Below Zero. This is an Illinois firm started by a catering company executive. He's built an ice cream machine whose frozen treats pack an alcoholic punch. Alcoholic spirits from vodka to bourbon or any flavor of beer can become adult ice cream cones. The story is from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and the machine spits out uh, basically an ice cream cone, and it depends on what you put into it. If you uh, put in barrel-aged stout at 12% alcohol by volume, that's what your cone will be like. Hmm. Technically, they're desserts. Would you like to try one of those? Yeah. Okay, well... Do you have twenty dollars? <laughs> could, could you buy me one too? Twenty dollars. Well, that is a bit. It, it better be more than just a, I think, a dessert. Right? I think you'd be happy, especially in winter, with a Tom and Jerry. Yes, you, yes, I like that better. That's I think you do. Your your dad's favorite, uh, his recipe from his bar. That's that's a great drink. It is, isn't it? So, Bob, let's talk Google. Okay. What do you think were the most Googled words in twenty twenty? The most Googled. I bet pandemic was one. Coronavirus was another one. Good. Well, you got one right. Coronavirus. I got one. <laughs> uh, the top two were coronavirus and election results. Oh, of course. Yeah. In the United uh, States, especially. Uh, yeah. It's an interesting time capsule, Google is, of, of the year that we're in or behind us. It really tells you, like, who do you think were the top people Googled for uh, 2020? I'd say Donald Trump was one of them because he nope. was a... No. Not, uh, not the top tops. Uh, Joe Biden? No. Yes. Oh, so he was. He was number one. Okay. And other top people were Kobe Bryant and Chadwick Boseman, both of whom died. Remember Chadwick Boseman was oh, from the Black Panther? That's right. He's the black uh, I, actor. I, I Googled him. Yeah. After he was it. very and good. I Googled Kobe Bryant because I wanted to see uh, how old he was when he started and all that when I first heard about the plane crash. Mm-hmm. And the word insomnia, Bob was Googled more in 2020 than ever before. Yeah, because uh, people were stressed. Yeah, so they were. And, and, uh, and the other phrase that was looked up more than ever before, how to help acid reflux. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yes. Acid reflux and insomnia. But there is hope for 2021 and for positive change. This year, how to be anti-racist, unquote, was searched more than how to be a millionaire. <laughs> well, that's unusual. I, that's what they said. That's quite interesting. And the words, quote, how to help, unquote, were searched more than ever before and preceded uh, everything from the Australian fires, how, how to help. How to help. How to help Australian fires or how to help poor people or food drives, how to help. So all kinds of questions about how to help with this, how to help yeah. with that, but the yeah. first three words, how, how to, to help, help. Yeah. were the most yeah. some of the most Googled words. More than ever before. That's really amazing. Yeah, it it gives you a little hope there. I got a couple quick ones here. Mm -hmm. What substance that we often place on food was once sold as a patent medicine in the United States? This is something you got in your refrigerator. You'll pull it it out. What substance that we often place on food was once sold as a patent medicine in the United States? Well, gosh, those... Guys traveling the countryside with their potions. This uh, was Dr. Miles' compound extract of tomato. <laughs> oh, it was ketchup. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, in the 1830s, ketchup enjoyed a measure of popularity as Dr. Miles' compound extract of tomato or tomato. And what was it supposed to heal? Well, it's like all patent medicines. It was supposed to cure everything. everything. Yes. Oh, that bunion <laughs> on your toe. You and name yes. it. Oh, God. That's funny. I got one more here. 
This is just a little biology question. Why are victims of disease buried underground when their bodies are infected with germs? Won't the germs spread underground? Well, that's a very interesting question. Yeah. No, they won't spread because once you're dead, they stop. No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> once you're dead, I stop you at that. Okay. You're close. But basically, it's just basic biology is germs are destroyed by the bacteria and other microscopic organisms living in the soil. It's part of so, nature's okay. check soil and balances. Kills them. Yeah. Not your body. No, soil has all kinds of stuff in it yeah. that will kill. That's why I like to roll in it every morning. You like to, to roll in the soil? No. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm rolling. laughs> okay. Uh, Bob, in case you missed it. What's that? Uh, we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving? it. Thanksgiving? Oh, no. <laughs> now, that we didn't miss. National Pastry Day was December 9th. Uh, we didn't celebrate that day either. Didn't have family over. No. <laughs> didn't have a donut hole for that. Uh. <laughs> but pastries, in case you didn't know, go back to ancient Egyptian time, as uh, as many things do. But anyway, you want to guess the number one top pastry in the world? In ancient Egypt? No. Oh, no. now? Yeah. The I, donut. That's number two. Oh, number two is the donut. Yeah. Is the donut hole number one? Just a question. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, the first pastry, the number one pastry, something baked, something, is a cake considered a pastry? Uh, it's something that uh, I love more than you do. And you bought me one the other day, and it was filled with almond paste, croissant. Oh, I like croissants. Oh, but I really like I them. I like them as much as you do. Well, okay, fine. I like them more than you do, actually. <laughs> croissant. I love the way they pronounce it. A croissant. Yes, yes. That's Croissants actually do taste great because they have a crispness uh, to them, yeah. and you can put all kinds of in Chris, things inside. And uh, it's worth the plane fare to Paris just for croissants and well, their coffee. It's a, it's a pretty hefty oh. price to pay for a croissant when and I can just go down to the bakery. A, I know, but there's something about Paris and their coffee, that, that breakfast, that first thing in the morning. Hey, that makes you feel better, doesn't it? Makes you feel taller, healthier. <laughs> Speaking of taller, Marsh. <laughs> That was a segue. That's my it? segue. Okay. What major mountain just got taller? And this was just a couple weeks ago. Did Officially it? became taller. What mountain? Uh, tell me. Mount Everest. It's now officially two feet taller than most measurements. Why? Well, China and Nepal have always claimed that, and they've always claimed two different measurements. They've had different measurements for its altitude. Part of that is because nobody can go up Mount Everest with a stringing a tape measure and say, hey, here's what it is. It's exactly 29,000. No, that's not the way you do it. There's various sciences, triangulation, global positioning satellites, and, and something called gravity measurements to determine how high it is, and they both got different answers. But recently, scientists said, you know, there was an earthquake in uh, 2015 that may have altered Everest's profile. So Nepal decided to take another measurement, and China said, let's do that together. So they did. And they conducted a joint survey, and on December 8th, 2020, Mount Everest officially became 29,031.7 feet high, two feet higher than Nepal's older figure. Now that we got that settled, how about the name? Is it Everest or Everest? Because Mount Everest was actually named after the Welsh geologist Sir George Everest. Well, that's probably Everest then. Or could it be Sagamatha, which is the name in Nepalese, uh. or Kamalangma? Well, they're in all, Tibetan. They're all Tibetan. Let's let's discuss. <laughs> Compare and contrast. <laughs> they're all right. Oh, they're okay. all correct. They're right? all correct. Okay, yes. yeah. yeah. But was... here's another thing I ponder. Okay. 
Is there any good reason why your fingers wrinkle up when they're submerged in water too long? A good reason? Yeah, because your blood vessels constrict and that happens. But you think there's a reason for that? It's something to protect you? Is it like a self-defense mechanism? According to Scientific American, the constriction has the evolutionary power to make it easier to pick up wet objects. With wrinkled fingers, you can pick up other wet things more easily. And I never noticed this. I, I <laughs> No, either have I, Bob. Never and, noticed and, this uh, phenomenon. No, I never did either. But now that I have, I'm going to pick get up wet get pick up wet things. Get wrinkly and pick things people, up. Uh, people with nerve damage don't prune up, and they have a harder time picking up wet objects. Hmm. So, people with nerve damage don't yeah, prune up? No. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Because it's uh, it's blood vessels constricting. And okay. If you have nerve damage, you, you, your blood That doesn't vessels. happen for no. you. No. So you just remain big and bloated and wet. That's right. I'm here to teach you, Bob. I, I'm here to teach you, Marcia. I'm here <laughs> to teach you about some old wives' tales about the weather that are true. Are these Marsha's tales? No, these are true tales. This is true. Let me me read this to you, okay? Uh Farmers can tell if there's going to be bad weather by watching their dogs and their roosters. Dogs will eat grass. Roosters will crow at night. Why is that? Because there's been a shift in the barometric pressure. That's exactly right. Uh, Of course. A big drop in the atmospheric pressure will lead to bad weather, and it can also make animals sick. That's because it causes gas bubbles to form in their body fluids. Well, we talked about dogs yeah. can feel the bad weather coming ahead of time. That's why they eat grass when, when bad weather's coming. They tend to eat grass so they can vomit. They the get, dogs they feel, do? Yeah, they feel sick, so yeah. they eat grass and throw up. But the, I didn't know about the roosters and the... Yeah, roosters never crow in the evening. But if they crow in the evening, that's because they feel this bad barometric pressure. Huh. I didn't know that. This comes from Farmers, uh, uh, an article, Weather Folklore That's Not All Wet. By uh-huh. Teresa Mansour. <laughs> and I have another one. Did you know Roman senators put off making decisions if they saw lightning in the West, but they went on if they saw it in the East? Why is that? Because weather moves from West to East. That's right. And lightning tended to indicate a storm was on its way. On its way, and if it was so, the and other a lot way. of Roman business was conducted outside. So I got two right in a you row. You did. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, Bob. Why do we wear wedding rings on the fourth finger of the left hand? I know the answer to this, which makes you disappointed whenever I know the answer. (laughs) But you just answered two of my questions. I did. From what I understand is that finger was the one that ancient people felt had a line directly to the heart. That's exactly right. Yeah. They had It was a vein. They thought a very thin vein went directly to the heart, and it influenced uh, where they put their rings back then, and it continues in the Western part of the world today. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, that the they, that, things, that traditions, and Bride Magazine. That, that's where I got my information. <laughs> Jeez. I try to read it uh, as often as Is possible. Is it just kind of a nostalgic thing for you now? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what did the Bank of England once not let its bookkeepers do if a certain weather condition came about? Uh, If there was a certain weather condition that came about, this is back in the 1700s, the Bank of England would say, we're not going to let the bookkeepers work today on their... Well, what were they doing? They discovered that once the barometric pressure dropped, the accountants were not as accurate as they could be on other days. Yeah, they made more mistakes than usual. 
since people with rheumatism feel discomfort and since people feel toothaches and corns more during low atmospheric pressure, the bank officials probably knew what they were doing when they gave their accountants the day off. Is it really? It's a bad day for you to work. Well, people, I'd love to have bosses doing that to me. Nobody yeah, ever yeah, did that. that say, Bob, we'd like you to take the day off. I would say, they're firing me. Yeah. What did I do wrong? Wow. But it's just a low barometric pressure day for the Bank of England in the 1700s. They took that stuff very seriously. They did. Now they, you know, what they say today, get over it. Yeah, get over and, it and, and get to work. And get better. Now you got a computer, and that's not going to be affected by the low barometric pressure. That's the here's, problem. Here's a question near and dear to your... Uh, Mayflower Pact. Oh, okay. Okay. Who was the last survivor of the Mayflower Passage to America? Do you know? No, I really don't. I, I, is it a famous name? I didn't know this person. Is it Brewster or Winslow? No, or, no? no. It was Mary Allerton. Mary she, Allerton? Uh-huh. She arrived at Plymouth Rock when she was four years old and died at Plymouth Colony at the age of 83. So she lived there her whole life. Uh, and she bore eight children, so she probably has a lot of ancestors still floating around. She was born in Leiden, Holland in 1616. Okay, Marsha, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Okay, we're back with The Off-Ramp. I got two more old wives' tales about the weather that are true. Did you know this, that bees never get caught in the rain? And why is that? Bees rarely get caught in the rain. Is that right? Yeah. Again, are they feeling the weather shift? No, it's something different. For bees, they they get lost in cloudy weather because they guide themselves by polarized light. And when it gets cloudy, the polarized light is shut off. So bees can get lost. They lose their navigation. So they tend to stick close to home when it gets cloudy. And cloudiness is what the sky always looks like when it rains, right? Yeah. So you don't find bees very often. I'll be darned. So that's a good day for you to go out. And one more. Uh Uh-huh. Why do fish bite best after a rain? Well, that I grew up knowing, but I can't remember why, Dad. We'd go fishing on vacation, especially after it rained. I remember asking my dad that, and I don't remember the answer. Uh, Well, because the low pressure right before a rainfall makes decaying matter on the bottom of the lake form bigger bubbles, and it it makes it rise rise to the top. So there's a lot of food going on. Yeah, so the fish follow the food, and they feed closer to the surface right about time of of rainfall. I don't remember if that's what he told me. He probably just said, it is what it is, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It just happened. Quit asking questions. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Remember the movie, The Twelve Angry Men? Yes, about the jury. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's a trivia question. How many of those 12 angry men can you name? What do you mean, how many can I name? Their actor's name. Oh, you mean the people who played them? Yeah, who them played them. In the original film. Yeah, just give me, I have a list here of them. Well, who is the star? I can't remember. Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda. Okay. okay. And uh, Jack Klugman. Uh uh, Jack Warden, Martin Balsam, Ed Bagley, E.G. Marshall. Wow, but, big names. Yeah. And uh, the name of the guy who was the, the last one to change his mind, uh, to change the verdict, was Lee J. Cobb. Yeah. Now, that was actually a TV play before it became a movie. It was uh, a was live it? television play. Oh, that's... Can you imagine that? 1957. Yeah. yeah. They had a lot of... Uh, live TV. I was TV. very young then, but... Live TV. It would have been compelling to watch a live TV show back in those days. So much compelling feeling that it was real, mm. you know? Yeah. 
I have a question to you, Marcia. Something you love every morning is a cup of coffee. Why do we call coffee a cup of Joe? Cup of Joe. Does it go back to uh, Army days? A well, GI Joe? No, that's a good one. That's what I would have thought. Oh. Then uh, I have no idea. There's a couple of uh, theories. Some people think it did come from uh, uh, U.S. Undersecretary of the Navy who banned alcohol from U.S. ships. His name was Josephus Daniels, and people he banned alcohol, so they said, well, I guess I'll just have to have a cup of Joe here. Oh, that's here. funny, yeah. That's what some people say, but most likely it's a combination of the words Java and Mocha, and it goes oh. back a long, long time ago, Yeah. Those are two coffee-producing regions in the world. Java is an island in Indonesia where coffee has been produced since the, well, since the 1600s by the Dutch. And Mocha is a city in Yemen where some of the first coffee was exported to Europe. And combining Java and Mocha led to the slang word jamoke. Uh-huh. Lose three letters of that word and you got Joe. <laughs> Jeez. So that's how many people feel coffee became a cup of Joe. How long has coffee been around? Oh, since the late... 1500s, early 1600s. I wonder who figured that out. Don't yeah, know. To roast a bean and then make coffee, that wonderful. There's a lot of stuff like that. Like who came up yeah, with the idea the to first. brew beer? Yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah. Because you, at any time in history, those things were very detailed processes you had to follow in order to get yeah. the resulting drink. All right. Here's some rock and roll pseudonyms. Okay. I'll tell you their real name. All right. And you tell me if you can guess who they are. Okay. I'll just give you a few. We'll start with an easy one that uh, most people know. All right. John Dusseldorf. John Dusseldorf. That's John Denver. That's right. Yeah. Okay. How about uh, Jerry Dorsey? Jerry Dorsey. Now, I know this. Jerry Dorsey is Jerry Dorsey. He chose a ridiculous name in history, It's a, but a popular Jerry Dorsey. Yeah. It's not Engelbert Humperdinck. It is. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, who would have thought to, you know, go from a common name like Jerry Dorsey to, oh, I think I'll call myself... Engelbert Humperdinck. Uh, yeah. And that was the name of a classical composer, I believe, wasn't yes. it? Yes, 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 it was. So it was almost like a little musical joke of his. Yeah, uh-huh. I guess. How about Frank Castello Lucio? Frankie Valley. That's it. Of the Four Seasons. That's it. Okay. Okay. Uh, this will be tough for you. Eric Clapp. <laughs> Eric Clapton? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. If I had a name Eric Clapp, I would change it. I would add something onto that. Yeah. I, did. I didn't know that was his name. Was yeah, Clapp. I, didn't, I didn't either. Janice Fink? Janice uh, Joplin. No, that's what I guess, but it's Janice Ian. Oh, really? Chuckles, I used at, to call her. <laughs> at, at seven, I loved her music, though. At yeah, 17. Yeah. 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 yeah her music too. was kind of dour, wasn't it? It was, oh, God. If yeah. I was down, it, nothing made me feel downer than. Good old Janice Ian. Jeez. Okay. Okay. I have a question for you. When Swedish scientists developed a nicotine chewing gum to help smokers, what was the unintended consequence that they discovered in Sweden? Developed a nicotine chewing gum to help smokers. What was the unintended consequence? They threw up. They turned yellow. No. They uh, got addicted to the gum. Well, children started using the oh, gum, and sure. they got addicted to nicotine. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. And then they'd switch to cigarettes. So it was just yeah. like the opposite oh, of what God. the intention was. So yes. the product was quickly withdrawn from the market. All right. I have a couple of funny laws. You have those all those names. Here's some funny laws, odd laws in the United States. Uh-huh. In Brooklyn, New York, there's a law making it illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. 
None of us want our donkeys to sleep in our bathtubs. I can understand why they came up with that. In Nevada, it's against the law to drive camels along the main highway. Uh, well, I can understand that. It's a real, it is a desert. It, well, it, it, Apparently, somebody tried that. Get the camels out of here. There always has to be somebody that made this law happen, right? Yes, there's some. there was a need for a law. They don't just come up with laws. And it makes you wonder what these needs were, Marcia. In Baltimore, it's against the law to mistreat an oyster. <laughs> but in Illinois, an animal can be sent to jail. An old law. Really? Yeah. And in Gary, Indiana, a statute making it illegal to attend a public theater within four hours after eating garlic. There well, was definitely a wow, reason for that. That's funny. That's <laughs> Those funny. Those are some funny, funny laws. Let's talk a little football. Okay. When and where did the NFL officially begin? Canton, Ohio, 1925. You say that with such authority. It's true, isn't it? No, but it's not far. It was Canton, Ohio. Though. It was. 1920. Yes, it's 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Good for my Bob. Well, I've been to the Football Hall of Fame. Ben and That's I were there right. a few you years ago, that. and there was a lot of... They have some of the original materials there, the original agreements there, and that was there were all these different uh, teams got together, and George Hallis and uh, Curly Lambo, Curly Lambo were there, and they uh, they kind of made the agreement and started the whole shebang there. Yeah, and the oldest NFL franchise in continuous operation in the same location is the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> da 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 da. Is it? Yeah. But the, but the Bears are pretty close behind them, too. Yeah, but uh, in the same... I don't think they're in the same location. No, they moved locations. Yeah. They were in Decatur for yeah, a while. They yeah. were the Staley Starchers or the, something. St- something like that. Staley Starch Company. And the Cheesers, they were founded in 1919. They were known as the Packers, the yeah. Acme. Meat Packers. Yeah. Yeah. We always seem to mention the Packers on this show, Marsh. No, no. Well, there's so much NFL history around those boys. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? All right, I'm going to ask you, what... Sing-song nursery rhyme is based on a true story about a real person. Most of those aren't. Humpty Dumpty. No, that's not the one. Okay, tell me. Mary had a little lamb. Ah. There was a Mary. She was a real person. Mary Sawyer, and she indeed did have a little lamb. She was born in 1806, and her lamb followed her to school one day in 1816 when she was 10. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, hey, Mary, what's with the lamb? Hey, get, what's, get the <laughs> lamb out of here. And when she arrived at school, she wrapped her lamb in a blanket that she placed at her feet until it made a noise, which that's when the teacher discovered, what do you got there? There's a lamb in the classroom. So the teacher laughed and put it out, and young John Rollstone had just arrived in town. He witnessed Mary sneaking the animal into school, and he wrote a poem about it, and he delivered it to her. You know, Mary had a little yeah, lamb. It's Everywhere Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Uh-huh. She is, and then a woman named Sarah Josepha Hale published it in 1830 in a book. So that's where it came from. There's some argument as to who wrote it, but there's no argument about Mary Sawyer. She was a real person. She had a lamb. <laughs> she did take it to school one that, day. And that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> oh, God. All right. You got something to wrap us up, Marsh? Okay, Bob. Let's finish off this week of political upheaval that never seems to stop. But <laughs> with a, You don't even have to explain what week we're talking about. No, it it's does. been it going could, yeah, on it forever. Could, uh, it has. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll finish up with this, with this uh, fabulous quote by an unknown person. <laughs> an unknown person. I like sleeping because it's like being dead without the commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, that's a different take on sleep. It's like being dead without the commitment. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we'll commit to being back again next week with more sounds, fun trivia. Sounds good to me. Here on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Join us next time. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.